You are back. Sorry for the mic. There's some background, so I just turned it down a bit, and I'm talking closely. Anyways, you are back on episode 58 with Corey. Corey is a UTKM student and a Wing Chun practitioner, and he is our editor-at-large on our blog. Woo! So, uh, we talk about a lot, and partially because he has a lot to talk about, like me, and he also has a uh, master's in cultural anthropology, so that does come into the podcast when we discuss non-martial arts-related topics, because that's what this is all, podcast is about, so get over it. Anyways... This podcast is brought to you by Urban Tactics, Krav Maga, Metro Vancouver's premier, sorry for the popping peas, but I'm talking closely, whatever, premier Krav Maga school if you want a proper uh, curriculum from white to black belt, you can come and get it from us, and I know some people, organizations use the patch system, I don't care, it makes no sense, I mean it does, but whatever. Yeah, I'm annoyed because I have to re-record this because of the background noise. So, c'est la vie, as one of my tattoos says. UrbanTacticsKM.com is where you can find about our school. And luckily, because of where we are located, we are able to operate. So, unlike a lot of places, unfortunately, if you live in a draconian place that doesn't really actually care about science or reality, and is just listening to the loud internet voices uh, that everything needs to shut down constantly, even though there's so many people saying it shouldn't. Luckily, here in Vancouver, they're being a little bit reasonable and recognizing they can't keep shutting stuff down. So we're able to operate. If you want to come to class, you can sign up on our website under new student page at urbantagdiscam.com. There will be some health-related restrictions, masks, etc. Whatnot. You'll find out when you come to class, of course. And if you do not want to, we are do have virtual classes, though when we are operating regular in-person classes, please note that the focus is not on the virtual students. You get to just live train with us. And, of course, if you would like a bit more uh, schedule-friendly for yourself, you can sign up at www.utkmu.com for your online learning experience where our entire curriculum is posted up to novice advanced stuff's not up yet it'll get there now we do of course offer canadian firearm safety courses and canadian restricted firearm safety courses if you want to get your firearms license in canada and learn from someone with military and practical experience uh, not just some guy who wants to teach you to make money i will educate you in always firearms so that you can understand it within the scope of the course and you can learn more of course i can teach you more uh, outside of that you can sign up for those courses again at www.urbantacticskm.com under the tab cfrc and cfsc i screwed that up canadian firearm safety course canadian restricted firearm safety course so you can sign up there there is a course in a week from now, but by the time you probably listen to it, it will be over. And then there'll be another one in January 2021 and uh, March 2021. So you can sign up there. And again, this is brought to you by Urban Tax Kramaga. You can also find us on Instagram, Urban Tax Kramaga, and Facebook, Urban Tax Kramaga, and I think Twitter somewhere, but 
I don't really use Twitter. It just gets shared there anyways. So again, this is episode 58 with our current editor and hopefully continuous editor forever, uh, Corey, who is a student of ours as well as a Wing Chun practitioner. So enjoy. Krav Maga is not just a self-defense system. It is a way of life. Warriors Den is a podcast for Kravists, fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Thucydides. Your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights, their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. Listening to the Warriors Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions. Hey, welcome back. I forgot what episode we were on, but I probably said it on the intro. So today we have Corey, who is a student of mine. Lifetime martial artist and our editor at large who fixes all my screw ups that I constantly do. Uh, and we can talk about that later. But let's start with the basics as always. Uh, how did you get into martial arts? Or who are you? What are you? Why are you? <laughs> I haven't figured that out yet. <clears throat> um, yeah, when I was a kid, I remember this is in the 80s. Um, everybody was doing a bit of something like Kung Fu, Karate, Taekwondo, whatever. Um, and I remember going with my parents to check out, I, I was a base kid. So there was a, a small school doing something. What do you mean by base kid? Oh, sorry. Uh, my, You're a basic bitch, Corey. <laughs> base. Um, I grew up in the Air Force. So I lived on Air Force bases most of my life. And so on the base we were on at the time, uh, we went to check out a small karate school and it was just, it's kids karate it was just chaos <laughs> i was like yeah i'm not into this um and you know that was sort of the era of ninja turtles and everything else so the martial arts were uh um kind of on everyone's mind to a certain extent which was uh, kind of rad but uh i didn't get into martial arts i mean i was fascinated by them but i didn't actually get into any active practice uh, till i was an adult like in my i guess when i was 19 and I lived down in Lethbridge, Alberta, and I was working at the university there, and I saw a sign for a guy. Actually, I think my roommate saw it first, and he said, this guy is teaching uh, Wing Chun Kung Fu. Your specialty. And we're like, what? That's kind of rad. And so we went and checked it out, and yeah, it was just this, uh, you know, I had hair almost down to my ass at the time, and the Sifu, same, had like this guy about my height, and... Uh, build and yet long hair. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> Maybe this is for me. <laughs> um, and there's about six students showed up to this guy's sort of first class was just in a room at the university. 
And then within about three weeks, it was just he and I that everybody just kind of fell off because they just weren't progressing fast enough or like found out that it wasn't actually like, you know, magical wire fights or something. Um, But it was really interesting to me because there's something I've noticed over the years that um, there is something to be said about body type and martial and style no yeah strange <laughs> strange we both say that by the way we're smaller individuals and uh i'm sure you found that you if your instructor is twice your size you cannot do half of what they're doing yeah it might not be the place for you um yeah so that, again like this guy i didn't know it at the time but i was like okay he's the same build as me and he's like super powerful yeah uh with wing chun specifically and uh the guy he had learned from was a wing chun master for whatever that means in that time. Uh, but his family style was Mantis. So I learned this really interesting Wing Chun Mantis sort of hybrid. So there's yeah. weird elements of Mantis, which were kind of cool. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I like the fact that Wing Chun was very in close and in your face. Like you want to get inside someone's arms and then kind of go to town. Uh, realistically, it's a little bit harder yeah. <laughs> if you're fighting a trained fighter. But uh, against the average person on the street, then, yeah, you can kind of go up one side of a person down the other yeah. uh, if you can move correctly. Versus something like Shaolin White Crane, which is a lot more like big, floating, move, hopping, yeah. long-reaching kicks, which is not <laughs> not for me. Um, which, I mean, and to a certain extent, that developmentally makes logical sense with the concept of um, in anthropology and a few other places, uh, the idea of environmental determinism, where based on the surroundings that something develops in, be it a species or a cultural idea, it's going to impact that. So things like Wing Chun came out of the cities yeah. where you're fighting in these narrow alleyways, so you're not going to be swinging a big eight-point staff. Just contextually, what's your major? Oh, sorry. I have a master's degree in cultural anthropology, so yeah. this is relevant to my interests. So he's not just talking that up. No, yeah. I'm an expert, pseudo-expert in this field. But, you know, that that's something people forget about. Um, the origins of your style as well as what you're using for your style will dramatically affect what works and doesn't work and people often forget that like mm-hmm. three or four generations down yeah. you know Wing Chun like Krav Maga is relatively new-ish in the martial arts world and you can still see the lineage reasonably where it came from but some of the older styles that have been around for 100 200 people have like completely forgotten the reasons they were doing something or someone introduced something total garbage uh, that doesn't make any sense, but they're like, this is the way it is. Now, for Wing Chun, I've found of the Asian styles, it's probably one of the most effective styles, though I have seen really garbage practitioners, and then I have seen practitioners hold their own against boxers and kickboxers to a degree. Yeah. So and it's uh, like it's, everything. Like you can have a really good street yeah. fighter who's never learned anything other than just being in a thousand street fights. Yeah. And he's exceptionally efficient and deadly because, you know, experience. Uh, Kimbo Slice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's what people talk about. Like Wing Chun only has sort of three ish sort of kicks in the style because it's mainly all upper body yeah. uh, stuff. Because again, you're in a tight alleyway fighting someone in a market or something like that. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, and th- there there's a lot of myth making that goes into these things as well. Like supposedly uh, Wing Chun is named after uh, Li Mu Wing Chun, who is a woman in whatever, not necessarily ancient China, but uh, a long time ago in China in a small village who 
had a very aggressive suitor from the next town over coming to try to pressure her into marriage and she wanted to defend herself so the local uh, sort of kung fu master because at that time apparently every town sort of had one that yeah. would defend the town from bandits. You do bandits. not share town secrets. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they'd give him food and drink and whatever to defend the town and so she came to him and said, what do I do? I'm tiny. Yeah. And so he developed this specific style, you know, the, the always spring boxing style that yeah. she could use even though she was small so that you know believe what you will uh, but that theoretically is why it's efficient and destructive for smaller people yeah well it's um learning the the uh where things come from from and learning like how to teach and everything is super important like me starting predominantly in krav maga uh i did a little bit of boxing when i was younger but not really and you if you only stick to your style and you never diversify it really limits your ability and you know coming from krav maga i could not comprehend circular motions for a lot of things and where it came from and i had an aha moment one i think i mentioned a long time ago where my hands are down i'm at a restaurant i made one of my patent obnoxious john comments i was with a chick and uh she just like tried to punch me hard in the stomach and i immediately like came up in a circular motion and then it dawned on me oh this style makes absolute sense in crowded places where you're not running around with your hands up all the time and i was like oh okay now and then i was like okay how do i rectify that with krav maga i was like okay well krav maga kind of takes a step back in that you shouldn't be with your hands down and we operate from the position that if your hands are down you're going to get hit probably if you weren't already paying attention so they oh okay that actually all works together then that makes sense that's uh, i've always wanted to see um you know i don't want anybody to get their ass kicked but i've always wanted to see someone who's like olympic level taekwondo get into a fight on like a crowded subway <laughs> you know yeah. versus a wing chun practitioner or a boxer or someone who's got more direct and uh oh, sort of short range probably. power unless yeah. they have boxing themselves they're gonna but even gonna necessarily versus a civilian <laughs> it'd be oh, really interesting to see like you know how you're gonna do like a you know spinning back kick in a you know with poles around you and seating everywhere but i guess i mean ideally if they're really good at it they just choose their techniques but still yeah but i mean even on a subway a lot of kickboxers might have trouble even boxers you just might. you need space yeah you in, need, you need to in many around. cases and if you don't have a style like muay thai guys might do fine because they can just clinch up and, they're close and, in, and, yeah. and throw them elbows but uh you know people don't often think about the environment affecting their style and right krav yeah. does like we are not always in the dojo with clean mats and you have to think now practically can we train like that in canada outside in the mess all the time not so much um one because winters suck and two because people here don't want to do that yeah um unless you're like this is a week-long course it's a thousand dollars you're signing up for this it's an outdoor <laughs> outdoor fight club throughout the urban landscape but i find it, it just kind of on to that point uh i always find it fascinating in everything you read or when you listen to typically when you ask someone, like, kind of what's the best martial art or what's the most effective martial art or fighting system, and this makes sense, but they always say whatever the one they're training is. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and uh, I get it. It's like, well, of course. I mean, I'm training this one, therefore it must be the best. Or I am training this one because it's the best. Yeah. But I just, I'd love someone to be honest and say, like, oh, actually, you know, uh, like kickboxing is the most efficient, yeah. but I train Aikido because I I've just like it. it. Yeah. You know, stuff like well, that. You know, I had a, a guy <laughs> message me, and I know this guy's an avid power lifter, and he's not one of these guys that's destroyed his body. He's very, this guy's in Singapore, messaged me. Um, 
he said, oh, I want to learn a martial art. I want to do this and that. Like, I think, what is he? He said, boxing, kickboxing, or jujitsu. <laughs> Obviously, I like jujitsu of those three. But I'm like, are you going to give up the powerlifting or lighten up? He's like, no. I'm like, okay, you need to do kickboxing. Yeah. Um, because you're going to kill your body if you try to do jujitsu, which requires a lot of moving in, in awkward ways. And that'll screw up his yeah. body's training. It's like, as much as I want you to do jujitsu, if you're not going to stop your powerlifting regimen, which is quite quite uh, strict for him, I'm like, you're going to hurt yourself. So you've got to do kickboxing. Or, uh, no, but nothing against boxing, but it's like if you want some more complete style, then it's mm-hmm. like I said kickboxing. So, like, knowing body types and knowing what people are actually doing and then what their goals are. That's often what I ask. I'll be like, what's your goal? Like, what are you trying to get out of this? Because if you just want cardio, any boxing, kickboxing, or, or Taibo will be yeah. fine. Like, <laughs> you know, people don't, they forget about what's the student's goals. Like, when I, students come into me, I... I know they're not really giving me a serious answer, but I always have the email goes out. It's like, what's your goal for three months? And you use generic, like, get in shape, learn to defend myself. And then I'm like, okay, I know where their head's at. If they say, I don't really have a goal, I'm like, okay, that's actually better because now I can, em- their cup is empty yeah. and I can fill it for them. Um, but if they're like, I want this, and I'm like, well, we'll see what you. Well, <laughs> that's something I've noticed over the years is kind of developed in my mind is, you know, a lot of people start out fascinated by the martial arts and you come in thinking like I want to do like the magical stuff from the movies or whatever and of course Bushido yeah like I'm going to focus my chi so that I can like you know burn a hole through with one finger or something Uh, I mean there are guys who will teach you that because you know Empty Force apparently has a huge following and they make lots of money but anyway that's no, that's a, a side point um, but you start out kind of like okay hey, I'm going to you know move like this or do these like crazy fantastical things and then you kind of get into it and you realize okay no I'm going to I want to learn to do what's realistic and then as you develop further you kind of see that set of things that are realistic and you think okay I want to do the things that work nine and a half times out of ten like all these other techniques are great, but what's the stuff that works? And this yeah. is what drew me to Krav Maga is I, you know, obviously the wire fight stuff was kind of out of my head because I was already an adult. Uh, and then learning all this flowery stuff. Like I, I also trained with uh, a school that did basically like nine different styles like dragon yeah. uh, dragon shadow, tiger crane, five animals, five elements, etc. And in that it's like okay this this stuff is good but which of these different moves actually works most yeah. of the time like I, I don't need to know all the crazy uh wild stuff it's fun to learn but what's actually going to work and that's what it feels like krav maga kind of developed in a way that said okay if it doesn't work toss it and if this feels like it's not as good as that thing over there let's pull that thing over there in and then develop the style yeah. with the mindset of efficiency and self-defense rather than starting with here's our thousand moves and here's how you're going to achieve inner peace self-defense might happen on the side yeah well that's the thing is what works for one person doesn't always work and either for krav the important like when it's done well which is not always done from a teaching perspective you will get students that don't that just can't do a specific thing for whatever reason but you have to pick the stuff in your technique set that is going to work most of the time for most of the people in most situations um, without going on a rant about the COVID thing. It's like you can't salute, you can't please everyone. 
Like, you ought to get for the majority of the people and those outliers. Well, those one group of outliers are going to be fine no matter what because they're excellent. And that 10% over there, well, too bad. It's too bad. Yeah. That's life. Uh, you know, I was just listening to uh, another local podcast, BJJ Mental Models, and they had uh, Lachlan Gills on. Um, he's world famous uh, nogi grappler. Done. He's a small guy and decimated. He went into open class at the ADCCs and got bronze against the big guys because cool. he just got their legs. But he was saying a similar thing where, like, you can learn all these fancy stuff and you'll see the trends in jujitsu. But what works in competition at the higher level, the majority of the time, it's literally the same few things over and over again. And occasionally mm-hmm. you'll get. Uh, and a lot of times you even have to go back. People go back to the basic, not Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, but like pressure passing and knee cuts and just simple stuff that works if you're good and faster. Than, and then at the high level, it's a matter of who's got the better conditioning, who's got the better reflexes, and then that'll determine. like. And that's where that genetics factor comes in. Now, once in a while, someone will come in with some completely crazy new thing. Uh, this guy named Keenan Cornelius who came up with a worm guard with a lapel guard, and it's really annoying. And I'm still not the best at dealing with it, but he was just dominating for a year or two, and then everyone figured out how to get out of it, and you didn't see him so much anymore. Yeah, right. That's and he's still amazing, but he's uh, it's the same thing. New is only good until it's new, while it's new, and then once it's not new anymore, people figure it out, and it's like okay. But the stuff that works consistently mm-hmm. is what you want to use, and you know that is the Krav approach. Now, unfortunately, it's not universally the Krav approach. So if you're listening, you really need to check out your instructor in school. If it seems like they're talking bullshit, they're probably talking bullshit. And (laughs) and there are things that are just fun to practice for, I mean, A, exercise, B, discipline. And sometimes it's cool just to pick up new skills. Like, again, the the first guy that I trained Kung Fu under, uh, he could do the one-inch punch. Yeah. And it hurts right yeah like it amazed me like how's this guy doing this and it's just like years and years of focused practice but that being said nobody well maybe somebody out there but chances are most people that can do a one inch punch are not going to be able to drop it on you in the middle of a fight no because that's not how it works like you need to be stable you need to be grounded you need to be able to twist all the way from the ground without someone punching you in the face so it's great as a demonstration thing and it's cool to have developed that skill yeah but it's not necessarily combat effective like that's so it's something where I'm like, well, I'm not going to spend my life mastering that because yeah, I got better things to do. You got to take what you know. I was, uh, I was watching a video of Paul Vanek or Vanek. Do you know that guy? No. So he is actually Bruce, one of Bruce Lee's proteges, but a lot of the traditional guys don't like him because he's mm-hmm. like this wild white guy. And uh, I was watching a video. Like I actually, uh, I originally started brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, at a local affiliate club of megaton team megaton but the head instructor trevor clarkson is actually a student of paul vanek now uh he was pretty good at that style and anyways i was watching a video of paul vanek and he was doing something similar to the near combo and i was like i bet you that's where near got it from from his wing chung and kali mm-hmm. and it probably came out of that because Paul Vanek video is all about biting and scratching and close and just aggressive and like much more self-defense, practical self-defense oriented Wing Chun Kali stuff than a lot, what a lot of 
from a chromatic perspective from the videos and it's like you don't always know where that technique or it originated from or who came up with it but if it's good you will slowly see it starting to uh, disseminate or whatever the word disseminate, yep. disseminate that's the one all over the place um, and I've noticed that like one chromatic organization will come up with something and then you'll start seeing it in all of them and they're like we created this so I'm like no I saw it in this other organization first but it's obviously working well and even if you did create it who cares <laughs> like, yeah. do you like do you want royalties for it or yeah. do you want people to learn how to do it and be effective in their yeah. self-defense <laughs> well that's the thing it's like the the two-on-one control right mm-hmm. for like they have a knife yeah. and, you know Russians were doing that a long time ago. Whether that's where they got it from, I don't know. Maybe because there's a lot of Russians in Israel and maybe they picked it up through Sambo or something. Um, but for the most part, in the last five to ten years, you've seen most Kramaga schools shift to that. And then you'll see the ones that are like, well, we're doing that, but we're still going to keep the wrist locks, standing wrist lock stuff because it's in the curriculum. It's like, no. Just don't want to admit. No, change. guys. <laughs> change it. And as, as phenomenal as the head guys for some of these organizations are, they just do not want to change and i've had discussions you know i'm not that crazy in the crowd and girl world or anything but i've had discussions with some people it's like why are you still doing it that way i'm telling the head guy why are you still doing it that way because all the other organizations have shifted to this way and it's statistically better to work and they're like no is it this way no and then it's just this ego battle and i'm like yeah we'll see in one particular case with one fairly well-known high-level person uh i turned out to be a little right because I wasn't intentional. I just jerked when they came in on me, just out of reflex, and their technique failed pretty spectacularly. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't like me for it. Well, and it's that, that willingness, like, because everybody's in, we can get into a bigger discussion of society in the modern world, but <laughs> it'll get there. <laughs> it seems sure. like everyone is so afraid of being wrong, or not even being wrong, but just not being right yeah. <laughs> because you know nowadays we invest so much of our identity our identity into our opinion yeah or our, not even our opinion but our preference in some cases that to refuse or to second guess or to even change dare i say that opinion or preference means that you know your your entire person is wrong or your entire life's wasted or something it's like it just seems to be this very visceral reaction and that like um the Taekwondo school that my one of my children used to go to, they were getting into this stuff. Like, you know, whatever, Taekwondo is a sport. I was yeah. cool. Go learn some physical literacy, get some exercise, learn how to move your body and kick and whatever. But they started getting into this self-defense, quote-unquote, stuff. And it yeah, was like, we're done here. <laughs> yeah, well, they had something like 15 different combinations of varying complexity. They were all block and incoming left for some reason and then do this 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 or whatever and i was like well first off none of that's working and second why don't you pick the two that work the best if any of them work pick the two that work the best and teach two why are you teaching 15 yeah i had (laughs) that uh i was teaching a seminar sorry to throw you guys under the bus i won't name your names but i was teaching a seminar at a school that was uh Kempo Karate. And some of these people had drilled their reflexes clearly in their style. And they kept doing these big motions like, that's the combo. And I'm like, well, that may be your combo. I'm teaching you Krav Maga right now. Yeah. So if you, you, they'd put their muscle memory into such a point that they could not adapt in real time, even slowish, to change it for what was coming. And I'm like, guys, you're teaching 
I didn't tell them. They're listening. You're teaching bullshit. Okay, it was bullshit. The movements that they were doing. You know, Kempo Karate is known for its, its its similar to like Kyokushin in the aggressive training. Although I don't know if they're doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's still that. It's still grounded in that kind of traditional karate that was watered down from what it's supposed to be. If you're doing 10, 20-step katas as a representation of the move, it's not going to work well, in uh, practical application. And, you know, it's kind of that the concept of humility, right? I mean, like if you're doing something that's not quite efficient and someone says, hey, maybe if you moved on this angle instead of that angle, you'd get there faster or you'd be less open, you say, oh, thanks. I'll yeah. do it. <laughs> like, well, it's like let's check it out. That you, works. You're right. You let's and move the straight on. blast. Nothing against the straight blast. It definitely works <laughs> in the right application. But we're doing Kravagar right now. Yeah, the Wing Chun. It's a decade of Wing Chun habits are hard to break. It's not just you. Oh uh, well, I know there's other the other Wing Chun practitioner or ex Wing Chun practitioner. Oh, he'll be back similar stuff. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it'd be good to have him back in class no, just for the sake you know, of not feeling as foolish. It can actually show you the validity of Wing Chun, though, is when, when you guys or the other individual goes full mm-hmm. on straight blast aggressively in a fight and the people are not familiar with it. It does overwhelm them. Mm-hmm. But that actually works with the Kramaga principle that cause pain off balance and disrupt. And you're doing something uh, that for the average person is extremely disruptive and they're like what the hell are they doing I don't know what to do and most of the actual new students panic it's only at the higher levels where people really know how to deal with that that it starts to have troubles but from an, just the average perspective it's going to work very well right you just go in go in full force forward with constant continuous attack so that actually in many ways works with the Kramika mentality you just have to recognize yeah. is this person circling out and throwing kicks and getting off the center line quickly and pivoting, and then that starts to, to fall apart a little bit at the higher levels. But in an initial one to two second conflict, it can be very useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can even transition to it into a front hammer fist. I think I've shown you yeah. that before, right? If you know how to transition. Well, and that's the idea, too, that even something that isn't necessarily great overall has sort of gold that can be panned out of it. Yeah. As it were, like something like Aikido, it's like, well, you're probably really good with balance and yeah. your flow of your movement and something with wing chun that i developed over the years is i have no fear of being inside yeah and the and retsev like the which is a smaller principle guy, you of, don't have a choice not to be inside anyway yeah <laughs> where you want to be um but when applying retsev and trying to that constant continuous attack especially once you're inside uh is something that kind of wing chun practitioners do from day one because yeah. you know that the whole point of chain punches is you just go 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 you don't stop yeah. and so once you're there even nose to nose with someone i've got no problem like headbutt elbow knee whatever like flowing yeah. whereas other people i've seen who are learning you know maybe from zero background or from a boxing background it's sometimes harder to like move like to start doing things rapidly in succession yeah. other than just you know the traditional punch or something like that which actually shows like the the conclusion is if wing chun was developed from smaller women right and, and as a general rule people in china historically were smaller in, uh in general although people were in general smaller pre-nutrition you know yeah. pre, pre-1930s give or take 1920s um Fun fact, I think it was 1920s when they developed, like, vegetable oils and all that, and all of a sudden people started getting fat all the time. Like Before that, it was not a common thing. Yeah. Um, 
But it shows you that when in doubt, you have to be aggressive. Now, you can't, you still cannot overestimate the size of a strong opponent mm-hmm. if they're. 200 pounds and know how to use their body you're going to run into some problems um there are we i mean there's people at the school like toe to toe with rule set i am not going to beat them they're too big too strong mm-hmm. without rule set and higher strategies and like i'm going to do this to you then yeah i can i can beat them i mean we have weight but, classes for a reason in yeah sport. exactly um and that's you know unless you have proven yourself as a dominant world champion you, the average instructor objectively can't beat all their students a lot of the time if their students are being honest there's a certain point where a lot of the times the students will be better it depends on the style of course uh jujitsu if you're like pretty good it's hard usually to take out the professor but eventually when your students start becoming equals then they start beating you usually once their skill level matches or equal to not always obviously obviously if you're like gordon ryan it's like game over or <laughs> or like andrew galvao i'd hope that match happens and they don't bail on it but whatever gordon ryan just moved to costa rica because he's like screw this country like because of the covid lockdowns <laughs> speaking <laughs> of which um I mean, this is going to date the podcast episode, but uh, McGregor Poirier has been confirmed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so in January. That's cool. Yeah, yeah it, it, McGregor beat him last time, I believe, so we'll see. If I recall correctly, yes. I'm, so it should be fun. Well, if I was Poirier, I would take it to the ground as fast as I could because mm-hmm. that's his weakness, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, that should be pretty cool. Isn't there the, the Tyson boxing fight coming up? Ah, oh, who knows anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Should see that. Seems like something that would happen soon. But you know, you're bringing it back to the point you made about uh, people don't want to be wrong or don't want to admit. It's like, I, I, I'm going to, I, I want to say Charlie Munger, I think. Yeah, I believe that's uh, Warren Buffett's right hand man. He's like a leadership girl. Let me double check that. Um, I can't, I, it, well, I don't, I don't want to get wrong, Charlie Munger's, uh, who he is, uh, Munger, uh, pretty sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure. But what is this person doing? Yeah. That so he's saying, I just want to give some okay. context, yeah, he's uh, basically uh, Warren Buffett's right-hand man, but I believe it was him who said something about CEOs don't need to be liked, hmm. they need to make the hard decisions. The managers can be liked, and you're seeing this in politics where they don't want to make the hard decisions because they're going to get yelled at by both sides. But it's very obvious with the real decision that needs to be made. But they've either side, they either pick a side, which is not completely correct, or they're just wishy-washy and well. But the reality is leaders, leaders, real leaders will make the decisions and they don't care about being yelled at by people. Because, again, it's about the majority. The statistics around social media definitively show it's allowed 10% that's obnoxious. And they are not representative of the average people, just like the Krav techniques. Mm-hmm. We need to stop listening to the crazies on both sides. And you need to make a decision that will better most people. We can talk about COVID. But shouldn't we save all lives? No, because that's impossible. Now, should you be doing nothing? so that people go crazy no but you'll i've had people have this conversation about that they're like no nobody should die i was like that's impossible i ran into this with occupational health and safety when the laws are there set up in a way to like nobody can die it's like now we can't do our jobs 
It's like, you guys are insane. Like, you cannot say no deaths are ever going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, there's a fear of death, which is, like, ingrained into humanity. And then on the other hand, you can't do nothing, right? And, and it's when people are like, oh, scientifically, it's like, well... I don't think you're uh, being objectively scientific right now, honestly. Is that in one of the from a science perspective, right? Uh, scientific method. You have a hypothesis. The myth is you're going to prove it right. No, you have a hypothesis. Let's do an experiment. It could go either way. And I had a discussion with a professor a long time ago in university. Is like people need to stop trying to be creative in sciences. What they need to people need to start getting their masters and PhDs simply by redoing other people's studies, because the amount of studies that have done that we base our information off that were never repeated is crazy. Well, and that's where you get into the concept of the uh, with the fact half life. Uh, explain the fact half life. Essentially, it's sort of a, a theory that it doesn't necessarily apply to everything, but it applies to a lot of. Uh, research we've done, uh, where basically in 40 years, something we proved to be absolutely right tends to break down. And it's like, well, actually, there's more nuance yeah. to this, you know, as, as our techniques and our points of view develop. There are cases. fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that's that's the thing is science is infallible. People are infallible uh, or not infallible. Or fallible. Fallible. That's yep. the one. It is. They can be wrong. Yep. And if the people running around like now say, trust science. No, fuck you. You're pushing a limited perspective. I trust science. I don't think you're doing it because it's a process. It's not a person or. And, you know, when you see first, let's COVID's an easy example. Who are the experts on global aspects? The virologists. And the immunologists, and for the most part, they're getting ignored. Who, who, who are the experts getting listened to? ER doctors. I'm sorry, they're not actually the experts on this subject matter. Uh, I think I've brought this up before. It's like if you like, and I read this, some of these books, and I've listened to these the, the people who've been studying this their whole lives. And, and you know, here's what I don't understand: is they initially they said don't close the borders. Now, my belief as to why they were saying that is they're a bit morbid. There's two reasons. They're like, everyone's going to get this anyway. It doesn't matter if you close the border. So they're being a bit ridiculous. They're not entirely wrong. The other aspect is I, I kind of feel like some of them are quite left wing and they're like, borders are evil. In that case, it's like you're an idiot. But how in this 21st century that there isn't a global pandemic response i'm fairly certain the un has agreed to this shit i'm fairly certain countries have it on paper it's just that the leaders don't actually bother to pay attention and it's like the first response to a global pandemic response should be isolate the region then the country then you start showing up in your country you close your damn borders and the initial response from so many politicians was that's racist that's that's ridiculous. It's like, dude, no. And then the same people will be like, oh, believe the science. It's like, what the? F making shit up now to please your 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 people and right and and uh, you have to ignore and and the people who are saying lockdown, lockdown, lockdown. You're not acknowledging the damage and the death that will happen as a result of that. It's just that it's harder to measure, and therefore they ignore it. But a lot of people were saying, hey, you know, you're going to have more suicides. You're going to have economic crashes. You're going to destroy things if you focus. Well, we're trying to save lives. So are we. We are as well. And 
people get so single tracked on their view. It's like, no, okay, you need to stop the spread to a degree to prevent your medical system from collapsing. Beyond that, the experts have said there's nothing you can do to stop this thing. And you're ignoring that fact because you don't like it. The other thing is, what's going to... Uh, protect the economy and reduce suicides and keep the average person going and, and etc and generally there's no plan they don't have a plan it's like guys these plan and i'm saying this not just from some martial artist i did occupational health and safety as my original career i learned very early hey you need emergency preparedness plans hey you need to prepare for this stuff uh, let's take something simpler earthquake yeah. well in vancouver the big one is coming. It's a very real It's a concept. very real thing in our city where we are. And it's a very thing that's been proven. We need to prepare for this. Yeah. And what do I tell my students? Do you remember about earthquake preparedness or just preparedness in general? Well, you, just, you are screwed. <laughs> you are screwed if you're relying on the city. Yeah. They'll tell you you need three days. Uh, I say two weeks. Yeah. At two least weeks. two weeks, not three days. They'll be like, you need a 72-hour preparedness. That's what the media is. I'm like, you need two weeks. Minimum. If the governments can't get the shit in order in two weeks, guess what? We're going Louisiana style, and you got eight months, a year, two years. And guess what? Your insurance claims five to ten years later. And guess what? You're on your own. And just from a simple awareness of preparedness, governments... Uh, generally don't have good emergency preparedness. Uh, there's zero reason at this point in our society that they shouldn't be like, here's the plan, execute. Right? Not execute Order 66, but <laughs> execute the plan that should have been in place 30 years ago and all the equipment is ready to go and everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing, but people get complacent. Uh, it's, it's also the voters' fault because voters don't want to spend $100 million a year on the emergency preparedness replacement stuff. Guys, you got to do it because in the long run, saves money and time and lives and that's and then you're seeing right now what happens when oh i just got into government and they aren't already briefed on all the emergency preparedness plans on their first two weeks of being in office because nobody cares about it uh, but the same you know the same concept there applies to the karamaga like the technique right the, the, there's two arms and a head and a leg why the hell do we keep have to reinventing what's the most effective we don't mm-hmm need to keep reinventing well and it, it kind of plays into uh, this, that idea again you know like losing face as they'd say in a lot of uh, eastern cultures um but the idea of people want legacies and people want yeah not only do they not want to be wrong or not want to be you know proved incorrect as the case may be but they also want something that is they can hold it up and say this thing is the best or it's yeah. impenetrable and this you see a lot of it with old school traditional martial artists where they don't want to change the way they do a kick because I've been doing that kick this way for yeah. 30 years and that's my legacy yeah. if I move to a different type of kick I can no longer say I've been doing this kick for 30 years because now I've been doing it for 6 months even though it may or may not be better more efficient or more practical in a given situation and same with like trying to get someone who's been you know doing 25 years of aikido yeah get them to admit that hey maybe it doesn't work the way you think it does in the real world like good for you for your discipline and your fitness and your your tradition but like maybe go try this over here if you want to actually do like practical street self-defense and for a lot of people that is a very difficult thing and i mean i've experienced it as well like that that notion of having to start over as a beginner oh, yeah. at something like uh, prior to 
joining the Krav Maga school, I was just kind of shopping around for different things just to do something because I was just getting old and out of shape. <laughs> and I hadn't done any martial arts for, you know, like six or seven years at that point. And I ended up going to a small karate club. And I'm like, I'll give this a shot. I've never done a like hard style martial art. Let's see what happens. And yeah, like you walk in the door and it's like yet to learn everything's in Japanese yeah. and all these references I, and like I I'm not ready to learn another language yeah. just to like learn this system like this this is a barrier to entry for me and it, maybe it sounds ignorant but it's like no like I <laughs> I'm here to learn karate I'm here to learn some movements I don't want to memorize the Japanese name for this kata or that kata or this movement and I know it happens in judo sometimes as well yeah. where people they only use the uh, Japanese names for throw techniques like that out of tradition. Whereas you go into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Kept John Danner. Yeah. <laughs> there's but, memes about it. And I think there's like <laughs> all the, all the original names, but then there's like all the things people call stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, like just for the colloquial. Yeah. I'll go into one gym. Sometimes they call out one thing and then another place they call it another. And I'm like, yep. uh, wait, what move? I've never learned that. And they're like, Oh, it's this. I'm like, Oh, I thought it was called that. Yeah. Right. And it's, you know, you want simplicity of language to keep everyone on the same page. But on, a, uh, like, I, I feel that too. Like, I've wanted to learn new styles, and I'll do two, three months, and I'm like, I, I get the gist. I get the. I have a fundamental. I don't want to master this style because I got what I needed from a like knowledge perspective to add it into what I need to. And if I want to master it, because I don't want to learn all that other. Mm. Like, I did Kyogushin for a bit. It's not a bad style, but it's just the realization that I'm going to have to learn all the katas to progress. It's like, I don't want to. Like, I just don't want to. And I mean, katas and forms are good for training, like exercise, uh, for flexibility, for kind of figuring out how to apply power. But they're still like you could have the best kata in the world. You can go to these competitions and win gold medals. Yeah. Does that mean you're good at the style? Not necessarily. <laughs> like, well, it's the same for judo too. Like I'm like ah, when I get my brown belt in jujitsu, I'll go go up the ranks of judo. I'm like why bother? Because you're gonna have to do a lot of bullshit to get the ranks yeah. up, up beyond a certain point. So you probably get ranked up pretty quick, and then you stall because you don't want to do the all this stuff. <laughs> well, and it feels strange too to like again, you know, having done wing chun for years and then, you know a little bit of uh, olympic style boxing and then yeah, you go into your white belt karate class and they're like here's a reverse punch oh yeah like yeah. do this from like hips, this is not how you throw a punch i'm sorry i, I can't I, I get the i get that this is the technical foundation for later moves but like is there any way i can demonstrate that i have the foundation and maybe just jump to the next level of the of the development like it it seems like i mean i don't want to see you holding people back because obviously there are you're going to find gaps where you're like oh wow i didn't think about that and this style illuminates that for some reason yeah but the idea of like teaching someone how to throw a punch when they've been in another style for a decade yeah. and they just want to come and learn the interesting and unique aspects of your style to add to their private repertoire. lessons. It costs money. And that's, yeah. And I suppose that would be the answer, right? Is yeah. either find a place that's less traditional or find a place that you can just be like, Hey, show me the, the nuance and yeah. I'll see how it applies to what I currently do. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's reasonable depending on the style, of course, that it's like, so jujitsu and judo are a good example. And I'm pre- a lot of places will do this. Like if you're a black belt in jujitsu and you go into judo, they'll, they'll, you up a few ranks uh, and it's reasonable to do so like 
in Kramagav, someone comes from another organization, I'll speed up their progress mm-hmm. at the lower level. But then they need to slow down. Yeah. Because if they're going to represent this, they need to know the technique list. They need to know how to do it from our approach. But to hold people back just because is, like, silly. Like, they're not going to stick around. It's like... You, and they're not going to get what they came for. Like, uh, you got to go through this. I'll cut your hours just so you understand the process. And then we can slow you down. Like, if someone has 10 years crossed somewhere else, I'll speed them through their white belt pretty quickly. I just need you to know the technique list. I'm sure you can figure it out. This is what you need to do. And just I'll do the assessment and then test pretty quickly. But yeah. Well, because you need to. Yeah. There, like, there's always otherwise. the baseline of comparison. Yeah. But I, to me, I always wonder, like, you know, <laughs> If, like, Conor McGregor walked into a karate club, yeah. would they be like... We're going to teach you how to fight. Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, well, you know, Conor, you're doing all right, but, you know, you're, the angle of your high block is not quite yeah. where we want it to be, so, you know, do some practice at home. I'll fuck you up. Let's go right now. <laughs> like, it's, just, it's fascinating. Like, the structure sometimes trips over itself. Yeah. Or the, maybe the style trips over the structure, where... Yes, if you're teaching someone from zero, then they need to learn here are the basics of movement and here's the basics of when a punch is coming at you and you don't want it to hit you in the face, you do something to get it out of the way or move yourself out of the way or whatever. But if you already know how to move something out of the way and move yourself, then you know maybe it's time to add the philosophy in. And say, okay, this is why we do it this way. Yeah. It's going to build into this or something yeah. like that and kind of well, explain where it's going to develop. It's kind of like, is it, is it something intuitive or is not intuitive? Yeah. Right? And a lot of fighting is actually not intuitive. And people think it is. Mm-hmm. And I've, because I've, my teaching style is I want to give you as minimal possible information as I need to. And I want you to fill in the blank. And over the time, I've had to add a little bit more than I'd like because I'm realizing that a lot of people, it's not intuitive, a lot of this stuff. So then I actually have to show them whether I put it in the curriculum or not is a different story. But I actually got to tell them this is an option because to me, it's intuitive. And to some of my students, it's intuitive. It's not. So an example of Connor walking in, well, he he knows all the intuitive stuff, Mm -hmm. right? So he wants to learn the other stuff. And if you're focused on the... Well, and then it's like you're not you're wasting everyone's time. So, like that's the approach I think is you need to teach them what they need to know. But if they're intuitive, you can actually just jump right ahead to like, here's why we do it. Here's the things. If you want to drill it, you can. Otherwise, stick to your style. You know, kind of. Well, it's like again the re- when I was doing my first Wing Chun training. That's one of the reasons that I think so many people fell off, and it was just me and the Sifu. Um, the initial stages are boring, yeah. <laughs> like it just like everything, right? Um, but you're in that case, you're doing a variety of different techniques, and what it's trying to teach you is sort of in the background that everything is coming from your elbow and shoulder, like you're driving all your punches, yeah. all your blocks, or elbow shoulder structure. So you're learning. A structural element that is the basis for the style, which actually can be applied to a lot of different things. Like we do a lot of uh, that elbow, shoulder, ninety degree stu- structure yeah. in wing in um, Krav Maga, right? 
But if you don't know that, if you're just like, why the hell am I doing these weird techniques where it's the same movement, but my hands in a different position and no one, (laughs) are you not there long enough or no one has the foresight to explain, Oh, don't worry. I know this is strange, but it's developing this. And that's one of the things that, uh, I was fortunate enough that my first Sifu said, he's like, (laughs) like the stance you stand in with your kind of knock kneed, um, leg position in the first form of Wing Chun, you're like, this is completely absurd and the Sifu first day was like oh no this is ridiculous but it is the basis for doing this and showed us like what the full stance was I'm like okay now I'm willing to do this for an hour you know to train my legs to do that you know tomorrow well that's the thing is but anybody else would just be like okay this is dumb I'm going home right and that's the key point you you need to actually understand what is your teaching and you can't just be regurgitating yeah. here's the technique why well that's the curriculum and i ran into this a lot in crowd my guys while you may have fantastic practitioners and they can definitely teach the curriculum when you ask why they're like they give you some sort of half-assed answer and it's like that doesn't make any sense you need to like how does it connect to other stuff now like I, sometimes new students come in they're like well how do i deal with this what about this i'm like you will learn it just <laughs> just run through the basic curriculum yeah. first it'll all come to you and that's i think it's fine for an officially because they just everyone people want to learn everything all at once they like, yeah. Give me three to six months. It'll make sense. Oh, okay. But if you get the smart, like, not smarter, the, the more, like, knows how to ask questions yeah. correctly, because a lot of people don't, um, this, the, you, you need to be able to explain in a few sentences the context of it. And a lot of instructors can't. They just know it works. And that's, I think, yeah. the different difference between, like, they really understand the topic matter or they don't. So an example was, you know, jujitsu. I was teaching, when I got my purple belt, I started to teach for a while uh, when I had the Richmond School. And there was a debate. Like, the Brazilians are very strict. If you're not a black belt, you can't teach. And then I was like, oh, I know a lot of people who... Uh, open schools at blue and purple belt and they're fine and then as i started teaching jiu-jitsu i'm like i cannot teach jiu-jitsu to the competency that i can teach krav maga and i don't like that Mm -hmm. and i'm starting to think that a lot of these guys you probably shouldn't teach jiu-jitsu until you're brown belt at least at Mm -hmm. least because you need to understand the nuanced stuff that you don't necessarily know you know until you know how to explain it. Like, why'd you do that? Well, that's the technique. Well, no, there's more to it. And, like, how do I respond to this situation? Well, I don't know. Like, if you can't answer, fill in those blank stuff, uh, then it's potentially you shouldn't teach. And I said I wasn't going to teach again. Um jiu-jitsu until i get my black belt so it's like i'm just gonna this is gonna be another while yeah. COVID threw a <laughs> wrench in that heavily well, <laughs> it's, it's interesting too like not only sort of deeper understanding but the philosophically you also and i don't think it happens much anymore because your business wouldn't last very long yeah. but it used to be that uh, they would make you go through all this inane just mind-numbing garbage as sort of a test to see whether or not you're worth teaching. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the idea that like, you know, boxing, like uh, go skip for an hour then yeah. come in tomorrow. Okay. Skip for an hour, 
come in tomorrow, skip for an hour. Yeah. It's like, well, when am I going to learn to box? It's like, well, when you show that you're willing to do what we tell you and you're willing to go to the limit. Yeah. So same thing with a lot of traditional martial arts. Like if you're not willing to sit and do a kata for an hour, then we're not going to teach you our, our grand secrets yeah, of chi. Yeah. I mean, it, there's merit to that. And there's also, it's like, yeah, cut the bullshit guys. There's, you know, traditional martial arts, there's a lot of bullshit, but so it's two things. Like I don't want to learn bullshit. Don't teach me bullshit. But hundred years ago when you had very little to do, mm-hmm. like I've been looking into this, you might know more about it than me, but like pre-industrial revolution, I don't think people worked very hard or many hours in the day. Like they, I don't, this idea that people were working eight or nine or 10 hours a day. I, I, even with a farm, I, outside of certain, like beginning of each season, it's like, I, I don't think they were from all the things I'm listening to. It's like, nah, two to four hours a day of actual work, maybe with the occasional spurts of three day periods. So traditionally people had a lot more free time to, to yeah. whittle, to stare at nothing, to go for a walk, to, to socialize. And and we've, we've lost that a little bit because we keep being told, no, 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 you need to work eight or ten. And, you know, there's this whole movement to try to automate, automize, automate everything and uh, to give us back our free time. And it's like there's no, no plan to how are people going to, you have all these people that have spent generations now, you know, three, four generations working stuff. And they're, you expect them to be all of a sudden creative again. It's like, I don't know if this many people can do that anymore, but yeah, I kind of, that's kind of on a tangent. Just like people don't want to sit there and learn because we have so much to do now. Like, well, that's, uh, it's I was, distractional. I'm just trying to remember the name of the actual tribe, but, uh, it's a famous anthropological study. I think the Kung, which I believe is somewhere in central Africa. Uh, but they were sort of modern day hunter gatherers and that's basically researchers, researchers went in and said like, well, this must be like a harsh lifestyle yeah. of constantly going from one bush to another and one hunt to another and trying to like scrape and just, you know, living hand to mouth, literally in this case. But it turned out that no, they actually kind of go do a bunch of gathering opportunistic hunt, maybe on the way to and from yeah. the campsite. And then they kind of hang out yeah. and, and then they kind of go do another thing. Like it's actually, that's sort of the, and I know there's a lot of debate about this now, but it, sort of the, the concept of the original affluent society was hunter gatherers who could just kind of, as long as you're getting enough food, yeah. you can just sort of chill out and yeah. make instruments or, you know, tell stories or do whatever. And it's the same kind of deal. Like, um, you, as long as you're doing what you need to do, you don't actually need to be grinding. And it's, yeah. it was, again, as you're saying, the industrial revolution, when it's like, well, the factory has to run 24 hours a day. It's like, yeah. well, yeah, now someone does have to be grinding. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> like, really, uh, in some cases. I'm reading Brave New World, and they, they decided mm-hmm. that Ford, Henry Ford, uh, he basically created the assembly line, uh, is they're like... This the deity, not deity. They don't worship him, but it's just yeah. like for Ford's sake, for the, 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 yeah. you know, on Ford's day, because it's all about production and embracing the good world. Book. Yeah, um, the intro is a bit like, uh, but after after the first few chapters, it gets pretty good. Uh, written in 1932, uh, and uh, you know that's that that's. What it, that's what it is and people are actually starting to question now like on all levels it's mm-hmm. like do we do we really need 
to be doing this anymore. Well, yeah, like where's all this time that my more efficient dishwasher was supposed to free up for me? Yeah, you know, like, come Bill, on. Uh, Bill Burr's bit on dishwashers. Oh yeah, <laughs> so funny. You know, I and I just spent like a year bitching about dishwashers, and then literally everything I'd said in a year was said by uh, Bill Burr, and then my partner finally understood why the fuck I was so pissed off they thought i was just being lazy but i'm like no who makes something that doesn't do the fucking job it's supposed to do why do i need to pre pre clean the damn dish to go into the thing what's the point of having this thing why don't i just pre-wash it in the first like just wash it by hand but i guess that idea of like everything's supposed to be simple and automated and modern convenience etc but it's like well where it's just oh so i can get more time in the office finally yeah (laughs) well bizarre the yeah what efficiency if you design something to be efficient it damn well better be efficient otherwise what's the point it's like i was reading google uh i i don't know if this was always or if this is a a response to covid was they have uh no meeting weeks (laughs) because meetings if you're a manager and a leader and you're making your employees do meetings all the time you're failing to understand fundamental human behavior, learning and productivity. Like it's been proven. And so Google was like to reduce anxiety and make people more productive. We're going to have weeks where we leave them alone because they're, they know what they're supposed to be doing. So I don't need to babysit. It's like this man. It's an anxiety thing on managers from one perspective. It's like, I need to control. I need, I I need to make sure they're doing their day. When everyone switched over to zoom, a lot of things, okay, we need meetings every day. It's like the only people who should have, fairly regular meetings or middle and upper management to make sure that everyone is on the same page the, you need to leave the workers alone to do their mm-hmm. damn job because you know what if you train them properly from the start you don't need to bug them that much and if you hire them properly from the start you don't need to bug them that much well that's uh, I, I worked at a large company that will not be named in the game industry and uh, and yeah there were guys I worked with who were they're sort of upper production staff i guess and literally their entire job was starting from like 9 a.m they'd go to all these sequential meetings with all of the production teams to get all these reports and you know where where's this at where's that at and then the afternoon would be going to all the management teams and saying like handing in these reports and discussing where this is at where that's at yeah it's like man your entire job could be a summary email yeah <laughs> like what the hell pretty much but it's just like literally from one to one to the next and every day like it's we could do this once a week man yeah. like you've got to have something else you can or be you doing just even you have the projects leader just shoot an email yeah hey we set the we set the goal when we started this phase of the project that we would be done in four weeks uh we're 50 percent there we're two weeks in there. Well, and that's, I, let us my, know if there's any problems. My that's previous it. job, like that's uh, one of the things I was doing was doing kind of these check-in reports, and same thing. It's like they wanted it every day, and I'm like, guys, I can do this once a week, and it's not like you're acting on the information on a daily basis. Like, if yeah. there's a problem, you'll hear about it. But I mean, I don't need to be telling you at the end of every single day where we're at because this is absurd, especially yeah. at the beginning or middle of a, of a like production cycle. Yeah, but it's. Just, Again, like, control. Like well, yeah. I'm not going to change the kicks I do in my style because I, then it, I can't, you know, as you know, be I, in charge of it. I, at the beginning of COVID, I started this new job. I since quit, and it was like. I've been trained. You know what? I'm very good at curriculum development and teaching. Okay, I'm very good at it. It is probably I'm probably better at it than I am the actual martial arts. <laughs> um, but 
they were like, we're doing these training and you need to be here all the time. And and the training was all over the place. And they're like, you need to be with us because uh, we're new to Zoom. And I'm like, you're literally using a sales line that you're using on your clients and you're doing it on your employees who know what the fuck you're talking about. Fuck off. And then I was just like, you're not actually training me to do the job. And then you're getting mad at me because you want us in these things daily. And it's like, I thought this was a flexible job. And they're like, no, you're not taking this seriously. I'm like, no, you're literally wasting people's time with your inefficient education. If you had a crash course two to three weeks, 40 hours a week, hire somebody to do the damn job. I understand you guys are like sales and you all want to do sales and don't want to teach. So put someone on salary, you assholes, that is good at it so that you have phased and they're just like, nope, you know, we're X amount of millions of dollar company. We know what we're doing. You're new. You know nothing. And some of the upper guys were telling that to people and it's like, dude, you're actually shitty leaders. People who have found financial success often think that they're good leaders. It's like, no, you guys are morons. Like, you're, I know you want more money. You know how you get more money? You hire less people and train them better so that they're better at their jobs and know what to do and it's actually going to be efficient and you will make money. But you assholes are so full of yourselves because you're making so much money, you're not actually thinking that you fucked up. It's like uh, the idea that you're too big to fail. The only reason something is too big to fail is because the government will print money and bail you out. But in practical reality, no, you're not. Well, and it's that idea, too, that, uh, and again, we can put this back into the martial arts, um, that notion of, uh, well, it's not quite accurately survivor bias. I guess it's survivor bias, the idea that, like, well, I succeeded, therefore what I did is must be the right way to do it. Yeah. You know, like, uh, A plus B equals C, therefore, you know, everything has to be A and B. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, maybe there's a different way to do it. Or maybe, you know, the fact that you did it and succeeded, maybe you were in the right place at the right yeah, time. Lucky. Like, you can, <laughs> changes are not going to end the end of the world. It's right? like uh, the book Outliers, if you've yes. read it. And I know a lot, some people don't agree with it and whatnot, but it's like, yeah, if Bill Gates hadn't lived uh, in California, he would not be Bill Gates mm-hmm. because he had access to, at the time, supercomputers or whatever, that there were like four of them. And he just gamed their system. But if he'd been in an, Stanford, I think, he got access to, as a teenager to mm-hmm. Stanford's computing systems, you know, in whatever, the 60s or 70s. And it's like, if he literally hadn't been there, he would not be Bill Gates. And people are like, I've had this conversation with people, and perhaps less intelligent people, and they're like, no, you're being negative. You just have to work hard and have a positive attitude. I'm like, no, literally, if he lived in another city, he would not be Bill Gates. He's like, no, but he worked hard. It's like, but working hard is part of it. That's how, like, yes, you can only work so hard. But, you know, do you know why? people say work hard and eventually you'll get there it's because statistically if you keep doing it and you keep refining you keep getting good eventually you're going to win the lottery in a metaphorical yeah. sense like you're going to hit meet the right person You're good. but if you give up and crap that's why they say don't give up but then another perspective from a business perspective that if it's just not working and you don't have the resources to get it going and you can't put it into like a sort of a management mode where it can just kind of function on its own you can't keep doing it well and the the notion too of like work hard and you'll you'll succeed it also plays into the idea that for the average person if you tell them that then they still have the hope that it can be them one day right uh but it's always managing the peons and that's the thing (laughs) is like hard work and stick-to-itiveness matters because when that 
you know, your right place, right time happens, yeah, you're ready you can take full advantage of it. Yeah. And it's always interesting to me. <laughs> it's, I mean, maybe just as I get older, I'm more jaded, but, um, all these musicians and artists and performers that I admire and <laughs> you follow this because, you know, our day and age, everybody's life is sort of on display because yeah. social media, people have podcasts where they talk about everything and you just slowly, like this one. yeah you just slowly over time find out that like even the people you thought were you know fought from the ground up it turns out oh they did have an angle yeah you know like there was a guy i used to listen to all the time and fantastic musician and spoken word artist and uh, poet and yeah just in one of his podcasts he's like blah 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 and, and you know the first time i got on the radio is because my uncle like ran this radio station for the bbc and i'm like fuck there it is see <laughs> like yeah. it's not just you were scrappy it's like no you got an opportunity because a family member had access yeah like there's always always something comes up eventually that the reason the guy down the block didn't do it is because his uncle didn't give him access yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, and then there's joe rogan who he said recently on a podcast he's like i literally had no plan yeah but i think he he doesn't give himself credit because he is he does work hard and he does mm-hmm. like he I know he was involved in a lawsuit early days of podcasting where they tried to shut down podcasts as a like violation of mm-hmm. something and he was involved in like 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 no dude like yeah you may not have had a plan and started anywhere but you then put in the work and made it happen. Well and he comes right. from that um but he was also well he was also well known before that yeah as a comedian actor martial artist so i mean he definitely had some sort of cultural cachet but he also he's one of the he's a good example of one of those people that um succeeds because they actually love what they do yeah and he he, i think he's told stories about like being in the green room with other comedians and just sitting around recording stuff just you know to screw around and then that eventually becomes this podcast which you know then takes off right yeah. Well, I mean, it's like me. I started doing the podcast, and one of the hindrances that I had is I didn't have a set location. And I much prefer doing it in person. It and helps, I was yeah. very resistant up until COVID to do digitally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the, obviously the audio effects, but now it's like, oh, I could actually do this more regularly now because the anxiety of trying to find people that would sit down and have a conversation was killing and other shit happened in my life of course and i was like eh forget it and then come covid i'm like i really need to start pumping this out again and just just getting it out there um well, and finding interesting people to talk to this is, is half the battle, right? But if you go global now, yeah. like I, I can't fly people in like Rogan, not that we but can that, do that. Yeah, I mean, anyway, you get but. a good enough Zoom set up and you could be talking to, you know, somebody doing like Krav Maga in Eastern Europe if you wanted to. Yeah. Like if you just arrange it. Yeah, as long as they have a good mic, which a lot of them don't. But you know what? The iPads and iPhones are pretty good. You know, it's not going to be this quality of, of recording, mm-hmm. but it's good enough. You know, I still have a saying before I just, I'm not, I'm technically capable, but I'm not like a nerd to like, ah, and I was like, I need to figure out how to use this current recording device I'm using. Use, I know you can use it into the computer, but then a lot of audio interfaces programs don't like the, mm-hmm. it's like, ah, so I was just like, fine, I'll just use my digital mic and the zoom ones for that. And it's, it's unfortunate, but I'll suck it up and do it. I'd rather get it out than not. Well, and the interesting thing so again speaking of joe rogan it's fascinating that he's also not only does he have you know this super popular excellent podcast but he's also does the video component uh so the whole thing is is recorded uh visually and and to me that 
that sort of standard, which I mean, you kind of see everywhere now, right? Everybody's like, they're, you know, their podcasts are. I'd love to. I need a studio for that. Recorded and on YouTube and everything. But as far as the martial arts are concerned, like that opens up so many possibilities for actually being able to like demonstrate what you're talking about yeah. if you're getting into the nitty gritty of yeah. techniques or, or, um, theory or, you know, practical principles, things like that. Now, with that being said, most people still listen to it in audio format. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, as uh, funnily enough, I was going back um, on the comments on iTunes, and a former student of mine was like, "It's such a good podcast. It's too long. You need to do it like this." And I'm like, "You don't understand podcasts, dude." And like, that's actually what Rogan proved. And they were I, he was talking about it recently is that these un these edited, clippy, angled. It's not how humans communicate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was at someone's house. They ha- I know they have the news on all day, all the time, constantly. I'm like, no wonder people go fucking nuts. It's like, you yeah. did th- unless there's a major update, I don't need to see it 24-7, okay? Yeah. Fuck off until you have some facts. Otherwise, let's have an actual conversation. This is how our brains are designed. You know, and everyone, even to this day, people are still saying, it's too long. I don't like it. Well, that's you, bro. Most people... Like the long format because you can you listen to it in a work shift if you're doing monotonous work or you can listen to I find driving is where yeah. whenever I can't I'm not driving around a lot my podcast listening goes down but um, it's still people want to have that conversation because again we want we deep down we want to go back to sitting around the fire drinking some beers uh-huh. chatting screwing around for three well, hours it's, it's the long form interview that used to be kind of a major feature of journalism and right? this is 60 minutes yeah like it just it, but people don't where it's people not stop doing that for so long yeah. where you'd actually get into nuance because it wasn't you weren't just constantly kind of plumbing for a sound bite yeah you know, it's like no let's actually talk about you know my opinion or my belief for an hour and really get it all laid out and explore every corner of it that you can which is fascinating it's like the bernie sanders thing is uh i would never vote for someone like that because their policies are insane but the amount of people that that listen to like oh i like that guy and then you're like why they're like well he's consistent i'm like yes he is consistent he's been saying the same thing for 30 years but he's consistently communist but that is you actually get to see who the person really is Oh, extreme socialist. Whatever you want, I put them into the vote. Um, but it's like you can actually see who the person really is when you can actually have a conversation with them and mm-hmm. not not this. Now, you will get people like there's someone I really want to do a podcast with, but I'm just like, I feel like they're just going to I know them. And it's going to be like, it's going to be so rigid of a podcast because I don't know how well they're going to want to. And I've just been like, should I ask them? Should I ask well, them? I mean, there's interview <laughs> techniques they developed to, to try to get people like to soften them up essentially get them chilled out and talking about what they want to talk about yeah if they want to and then some people i don't know i did one a long time ago where they just would not would not deviate for what they wanted to talk about and then the message they were trying to push and if you go back in the records and you know who it is then cool but it's like uh this individual is hard to deal with individual in the local community that's all i'll say but uh, would not vary it was like ah this is like a brick wall um so so uh as a segue so speaking of the local martial arts community um this may be something you can answer because i don't have a lot of experience with jujitsu but completely huge topic start doing jujitsu <laughs> yeah i know i just need the time um i will get it soon um but the when referring to jujitsu the concept of like it being a game or to play 
jujitsu? Yeah. Is that is that like a normal thing that you guys? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting because it's not something- necessarily like a yeah cool yeah I guess because you say like my game is like we play jujitsu the origins of that I have no idea but that would be like the, the vernacular I guess for jujitsu generally and then if, of course if it's like a really Brazilian school then they'll be like they'll throw in the Portuguese all the time mm-hmm. like everyday parada and like that that part of the culture I'm like not me because I've only <laughs> ever trained at like non Brazilian jujitsu run schools so the, that aspect of the culture i never really got into but it's kind of going through the martial arts literature when i was uh you know working on my anthropology masters that's something that i noticed is that the idea of trying to make martial arts fun and, and engaging and enjoyable for kind of the modern day but yet it's at the end of the day it's still fighting quote unquote uh it's still a combative application and so that idea that you don't say like i'm going to go play karate or i'm yeah. going to go and like <laughs> you know, do whatever in Aikido or something like that. And the first time I ever encountered the idea of like to play in the martial art was uh, capoeira because they have sort of a very different uh, concept of what they're doing. Mainly because the whole dance thing to hide it from the authorities, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, but jujitsu is the other one where I'm like, I started hearing that and I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. This is the second one where yeah. they refer to it as play or a game. Well, I mean, as a self-defense oriented individual, a lot, no disrespect to the elite guys, <laughs> but a lot of them, when they start teaching self-defense, I'm like, you guys don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like that technique may be good or this technique may be good, but it's delusional a lot of the time because it's coming from the sport point of view right? it's well not even you have to understand like the early Krav Maga techniques some of them we don't do anymore because it's crap and then okay Gracie Jiu Jitsu combative self-defense a lot of the techniques they're doing are still the ones that were taught and it's like you guys don't get it do you now the elite Gracie guys will go like see it works it's like yeah because you're fucking Gracie you've been doing it for 40 50 years 60 years you as a human being are an amazing entity this does not apply to the global situations right and and jiu-jitsu you know like people will be like say the self-defense guys crab maga guys like a oh, leg locks will never work on the street oh they can like if you're good at them oh you will fuck someone up with a heel hook okay yes you're on the ground but i trust me you dickhead krav maga guy if that person's been practicing heel hooks even for a year regularly mm-hmm. and they fall they will break your fucking leg, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that their friend is not going to kick you in the head, but yeah. they still broke your knee and your ankle and it's gone, okay? So there's arrogance on all sides mm-hmm. where the you know, sort of the self-defense aspect of jiu-jitsu, even at the higher levels, is like, guys, fuck off. This is not 100 years ago where the only people who knew how to fight were the Gracies because they had the money and the time. Yeah. Um, but a lot of what's I've learned from jiu-jitsu or wrestling or judo I have applied to Krav Maga because some of it does work quite effectively even in the framework of, of the, our mentality. Um, but it, it's usually when you don't understand the other style that you can't really be objective about what's mm-hmm. going on or the I can do it, therefore everyone can do it. And it's like that's just simply not true. Well, and there's that idea too of, of contingency, right? Like it- – you know, uh, you know, jujitsu, awesome, but it doesn't mean that every time someone tries to like stick you up for your wallet, that you're gonna you know shoot a double on them and then try to choke them out. Yeah, it's like, well, no, but I'd like to have it if 
someone jumps me and we're on the ground, now I've got some things in my arsenal. Yeah, and a, an It doesn't example, mean it's my go-to, yeah. but if I end up in a compromising position, yeah. I better have some things that I can do. Yeah, so let's talk about a double leg. Uh, it's actually a good thing. Uh, I, 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 personally, I succeed better with single legs, but... Um, Dude, you only figure that out through training, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just body type, body exactly. size. I just don't I'm not an explosive person. Mm-hmm. I'm lazy. Doubles take a lot of work. <laughs> um I have bad knees, I can't shoot low. Um but so you know, my Kramaga instructors originally they didn't they didn't do wrestling. They mm-hmm. didn't know how to do wrestling. And you're and you're told uh I've I've learned wrestling by doing jujitsu and then started teaching it as part of my curriculum because I realized how important it actually can be. Now, if you shoot a double, in most cases, unless you're a police officer going for an arrest with a partner standing there, from a strategic point of view, it's not great. So a lot of Krav Maga, because we don't want to be on the ground, a lot of Krav Maga people will be like, no, it's bad, don't do it. And then I realized, well, you know what? It's not even just for me doing, for me watching my students. If their striking is not proficient and they're up against a person whose striking is proficient and they're panicking and they're getting pinned, you know what? Now it's the time for double. Mm-hmm. Now the way I'll teach it is double, get them down and get up. Yep. Right. Don't stay there. Unless you're going into arrest techniques, then yes. Yeah. If it's, if it's, if it's your job, then, yeah. you know. And, and the other mistake people make is, especially in the crowd, is you're only ever trained, training with trained people who know what's going on. Mm-hmm. The average person is clueless, especially on the ground. So if they're like 300 pounds wailing on you and taking them down will be hard. But if you have the skill and you get them on the ground, you can turtle them metaphorically right kick them in the nuts as they're getting up and run away so it's like when i teach doubles for self-defense it's going to be are you being overwhelmed physically now might be the time to take it to the ground now that's counter to the crime i mean don't go to the ground but there it's an appropriate time to do that are you being overwhelmed take it to the ground however don't play the ground Mm -hmm. take it to the ground and if you're in a strategic scenario like policing or military, well, military, you'd probably just kill them at that point. But in policing, uh, now you're going to have to have good top game, basically, so that you can control them efficiently in a way that works so that you can arrest them. And if you're not in your civilian application and you don't need to hold that person down to protect people around you, then you simply take them down. They're stunned. And you bail. Mm-hmm. Play of a more of a like a nogi style disengage mentality, where they constantly engaging, disengaging, versus the gi mentality, where you get in and you hold. You yeah. so because um, you can use the the grips to sort of stall the positions. Right. Another reason I like gi better because I'm lazy and I don't like <laughs> the explosive things. And every once in a while, I go up against a younger wrestler who's my size and i'm like oh i did okay but then i go up against a younger wrestler who's bigger than me and i'm like oh, i'm dying like <laughs> well and that's something and i've mentioned this in class multiple times but that idea that one of the and you know i'm speaking broadly here but one of the biggest flaws in traditional martial arts that i'm seeing and even in fairness we can include boxing and wrestling and stuff like that in there as well but i guess any style 
is that you typically, when you're training, you train in a school that trains that style. Yeah. Therefore, like my Wing Chun is amazing against other Wing Chun practitioners because yeah. I know how they move. I know to watch for bongs. I know how to overcome it. I know um, sort of how to get on the inside of them and what they're going to try to do to me because they're not going to go you wild. the patterns. Exactly. Yeah. And, and not just the pattern, but like sort of the toolkit. I know what they're drawing from. Uh, and that kind of goes even again, boxers. Boxers fight against other boxers. So they don't train for what I do if someone tries to grab my legs. What do I do if uh, someone's kicking at me? So I think it would be fascinating for modern schools to have, like, one class a month or something where, like, you've got a Aikido school that's going to go and, you know, do some kind of joint class with you a boxing club. Because I'll lose students because <laughs> they'll realize that some of what I'm teaching may not be because people, yeah. people have a trouble disconnecting. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, again, you don't want to be embarrassed. Is, this is a style. Right? You're learning a style. Yeah. I never said it's going to be 100% effective unless you are, in which case mm-hmm. you're lying and you should know that. Your instructor, no matter the style, says this will always work all the time. Bullshit. It's just that's not how the universe works. Well, I've, <laughs> I've had Sifus who specifically said, like, oh, you go up against a boxing guy? Psh, no way. He's yeah. done. Like, is that a fact? Because yeah. <laughs> if that dude's light and fast. Because if that guy's <laughs> you're Tyson, done. <laughs> you're done. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's obviously a little... <laughs> little different in the world but uh yeah yeah, like you know boxers can outdo a lot of people based on speed and then when they do connect their power helps out well i've seen i've seen in amateur competitions i don't know how it it, at the higher level is is where a really good boxer goes into a kickboxing match and overwhelms Mm -hmm. the kickboxer because the boxer is wing chunks almost style they're just and they're just constantly coming in with a pace that's faster than what this guy trained at a Muay Thai school which is a naturally slower slower pace and they just overwhelm them but if that Muay Thai guy can know how to keep the guy at his at, at range, then he just destroys him. And that's where that skill level, right? Because yeah. you can take a really high skill level in any style against an average of another style, and they, they'll do quite well. Yes, there's some stylistic matchups that don't do well. Yeah. But... It's, you know, skill versus technique. It's, it, there is a balancing game. This is why the original UFC was so fascinating yeah. to me when it was like style versus style yeah. with essentially no rules. Yeah. And even then, like, I remember there was <laughs> myself and my Sifu at the time watched it together because there was a Wing Chun guy in one of them and he just got annihilated. Yeah. But you could, you're watching it and it's like, I think he was going against a wrestler or something in this wrestler. Now, if it was Ip Man, he would have won. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Uh, this wrestler sort of shot on him and buddy just kind of didn't know what to do with it and just sort of tried to sprawl and push him down and yeah they're like oh well Wing Chun got beaten by a wrestler it's like well he didn't do any bridge seeking he didn't do he didn't step off the center line he didn't like (laughs) he may have been a good Wing Chun practitioner but he didn't really apply Wing Chun in that situation who knows I'll be like have you ever had a really good wrestler shoot on you probably never and if the answer is no it's like you were not stopping that takedown exactly. i'm sorry yep. you will be on the ground and that's right. again back to my point about like that guy is probably the best wing chun guy he's ever trained with yeah. because he's not trained with other wing chun guys yeah. like who knows i mean i don't know the guy's backstory like, but uh, i was pleased with myself one time i was rolling with a guy who was i think national turkish champ for wrestling uh, and he's my size maybe a little smaller and i was like I actually held my own against him and I'm not a wrestler so Mm -hmm. I was very pleased it shows that you know I'm not dedicating my time to this style but I can hold my own now against someone my size who is a national ranked or national champ um 
if it's bigger than me, it's a different story. And that's the kind of context you always have to... If it's a 200-pound champ, it's I'm, I'm going to get mauled. It's just mm-hmm. a strength difference. But it's like that's, from a Krav Maga perspective, is you need to know enough of all the other styles that you could hold them off reasonably for even 30 seconds. And I think a lot of people are naive in thinking, oh, I could hold someone off of that style for 30 seconds. It's like, can you though? Yeah. Because I think not. Like, you you don't know until you go up against high-ranked level people um, that are also bigger than you. Right. Well, what's that? Uh, what's that internet quote? Or uh, most martial arts teach you enough to prolong your own ass kicking. <laughs> yeah, and, and from a self defense perspective, that's what you need. Yeah, to rec- have the time to recognize I need to leave now, or have the time to recognize that I need to do more to them now before they do to me. Because once they're overwhelmed, a lot of the time it can be it can be problematic. Well, and that's something I always wonder about. Like. It- would be kind of difficult to do this research because you know the records don't exist but i wonder the further you go back i would expect a lot of all these varied and wonderful styles to actually become more and more similar as you go back in time yeah because i feel like like the crazy shaolin flips and stuff like that i mean it originally started out more as a uh, exercise fitness whole body kind of thing yeah it was not so much a self-defense well, thing originally but i just wonder when you go back far enough, it's probably closer to just straight fighting yeah. versus like all all the craziness that now it's like, oh, we do this, do that. Like, it's we're like guys that doing. statue grabbing him by the <laughs> yeah, dick, Greek exactly. wrestlers. Like, do whatever you have to do. But I just wonder if, you know, a he thousand years. the year, statue on the shelf, by the way. <laughs> a thousand years ago in, in some small village in China was this guy learning to do like, you know, a spinning double crescent kick with a fake. Well, probably not. What I would probably say something more efficient. Is that history is interesting in that we don't really know what we think we do because yeah. if you actually look at history, where are we getting it from? Now, mm-hmm. you, the archaeological and fossil records and stuff is is extremely limited. Mm-hmm. It gives you like a minuscule perspective of their lives. It's a snapshot. So yeah. then we look at okay, when the written word started thing. Because I'm sorry, we can't really trust oral history outright because broken telephone it's going to be amplified across because people forget why something was taught the way it was they just don't know the origins but from written history who are we learning it from well who could read and write yep wealthy people and monks mm-hmm. and jews actually um that's why a lot of last names in eastern europe and jews uh translate to like feather like scribe basically because you used to have the last name of whatever it is your profession your occupation so you're learning the history, and this is don't be listening to this. It's the Jews, no <laughs> monks, Jews, and aristocracy were the people who could read and write for the most part. So our written history in most times is from the elites, and we will learn our history of what the average person was doing from the perspective of the elites. And we don't really always know. Just like we were talking about the hunter gatherer thing, mm-hmm. it's like. Well, now people are cutting out the bullshit more and more, thankfully, with history. And, and they're realizing that you have to be careful of your perspective. And that, oh, maybe they didn't. They probably had pretty chill lives. And perhaps it's because uh, of the whole Industrial Revolution that we got a little brainwashed at all levels about how things ought to be. In reality, they weren't. And and, and if, like so that's what I was saying about Krav Maga and Wing Chun. And we, we know the history because it's there. We know what's, what's going. But you go back farther. It's like, do we really 
No, like I was looking at uh, people have done these like recreations of like um, like knight fighting and like yeah, and then like samurai fighting, and it's like, dude, like all these sword fighting styles and all it's the aristocracy were doing that you look at what actually happened if you didn't kill them pretty quickly it's just a fucking grappling match in the mm-hmm. end you just smash into each other and then you know the the, the, the swords that would cut stick foot half it's usually to do with being on the horseback and just riding past and cutting it off but when you even the samurai let's take judo jujitsu and uh, kendo well all together used to be the samurai you start with your kendo you get into judo and then you get into jutsu and the first person to kill the other person won yeah right the idea that it was all and, and i mean because the the sand the katana style was not a sword fighting it was not it was one strike maybe two kill them you're too close you drop it you go into judo try to throw them down kill them that's the actual style and people are realizing that now when they're and actually, that's why they carry three different size yeah, swords right they, what range of i and draw yeah. that's the correct sword and uh we've probably because of hollywood a lot of people bought into the myth that was the samurai and it's like the bushido code kind of made up in the late 1800s to do with uh, maybe you know better than me like the emperor at the time wanted to try to unify under this mm-hmm. like ethos but the concept of a ronin was more common than people again i'm not an expert on this yeah. stuff but uh concept of a ronin is like if they're what are they daimyos or whatever they're called Daimyo, yeah. would like do this and like fuck that and they'd be like I'm gonna be a ronin for a while until I find someone who's not an idiot and gonna get me killed um, it's like how common mercenaries were in, in yeah. uh, eastern Europe or uh, western Europe yeah mercenaries it's <laughs> how are you gonna pay me no gold okay can I rape and pillage good and it was like people don't realize this about war too it's like you know raping and pillaging was normal everywhere up until what Napoleon yeah, I don't know. I don't know the specifics. But I think yeah. I think he might have been the first professional army to, be, and, and then the British who were like, "No, you're not allowed to rape yeah. and pillage anymore." I could be wrong in the West, at least, but that was like a common way soldiers get got paid. Yeah, you know the the show Norsemen makes hilarious, like just yes. hilarious, makes fun of Vikings. I mean, it's from Norway, I think, or Sweden. Yep. It's Norway, Norway, and they're basically making fun of all the Westerners' versions of Vikings. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, are we going to rape and pillage today? You yeah. can't rape and pillage. Uh, you're a woman, so I, I will rape yeah. and pillage. She has like a <laughs> necklace of penises. <laughs> it's so, so funny. But so, just looking at the example, the samurai, um, regardless of penis necklaces, um, <laughs> um, with again jujitsu and judo, and you think about like the you know the smallest sword in the uh, whatever daishu or whatever it's called, the three sword set, the tanto. Again, I would posit that if you go back far enough, samurai are not like, okay, we're in clothes or we've been disarmed. I'm not going to try to like take you back and put you in a rear naked choke. Yeah. Chances are pretty good. It's like, I'm going to try to pin you down, and pull out my tanto and yeah. stab you yeah. until you die. Like, again, it's the further you go back, I expect it's more just like fighting rather than doing specific techniques of a style well the life and death aspect the combat is so, so far fast. removed yeah. was well, it's removed contextually mm-hmm. from the modern time unless you live in a country where that is the reality unfortunately there there still are countries like that guys um i don't go to them um but i know that i am under no delusions that this exists and often people forget because they get used to the their own c- culture the comforts, their own yeah. thing 
like, no, back in the day, if you were in a fight, it's often life or death. Yeah. And depending on who you killed, it may be jail, it may not be jail. If it's some nobody and nobody gives a shit or nobody knows, then it's like, eh. Like or, or yeah, or you may be on the run. Teams. You may be an outlaw for the rest of your life. Yeah, or you'd be, you killed the, the son of some wealthy nobleman and then you basically got to leave that region because you're going to die. Like, yeah. um, it was a, it's much more common. The life and death was a more common thing. And it's like, you know, the idea, oh, people didn't live for a long time. It's like, well, I had to wake I was watching on Netflix the, the bourgeois, bourgeois about the 13th century. Borgia? Yeah. Yeah, Pope. And it's like he he actually lived to seventy or eighty in the like third like no late fourteen hundreds around that uh, yeah late fourteen hundreds early fifteen yeah yeah which means we were capable of living that old yeah. it's just that everything killed you so the average age of people was like twenty five to forty five and that was it and depending on where you were it would be more or less and how harsh it was you know well, even I think to the eighteen hundreds basically if you had like six kids. Two to three of them probably weren't oh, yeah. making it out of childhood, right? The like number, just- yeah, the number one thing, believe it or not, that increased the birth rate was wa- doctors washing their hands yep. before... Because uh, infections took out so many women. Yeah. Well, it's infections took out the babies. You had 50% death rate, I think, for women and for babies. So people forget about that. If you pumped out six, seven kids, just like, oh, you did good. You did good. Yeah. You know, just pivoting the topic, like, you know. <laughs> Infant mortality rates. <laughs> yeah. I, well, on that, like, I forgot where I heard it from, but it's like the historical context, even amongst historians, because I'm sorry, some of them are cowards because they don't want to be honest because they don't want the internet mob to go after them. Is that there was actually a legitimate reason why women weren't allowed to do stuff. Now, Sexism and culture aside, let's just take that, put a pin in it. I'm sure lots of cultures are very so women can't do that. But again, the why? Why was it? Well, it's to do with childbirth. Is that I heard someone was discussing this once again, I forgot where. Why didn't they want women doctors originally? There was a logical reason for it that it takes 10, even if their medical science was crabby. The old way of teaching people was um, master student apprenticeship it's 10-year process 15-year process and if a woman is likely to die because it's before birth control pill people really don't understand how that changed the world the birth control pill and uh it, it allowed us to be more productive and all that stuff um the resources it would go in to train a woman to be a doctor 300 years ago, 400 years ago, would not have been worth that instructor's time from just a community perspective. And just, I'm probably going to get flamed for this segment, but from a pure logical perspective, when you start to realize, oh, other than sexism and people saying women can't do stuff, there might have been a reason for stuff. Just like the martial arts, is we've forgotten why stuff was, and then the cultural ethos takes over the explanation as to why it was, even if it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Right? All of a sudden now, it's not... A- it's reasonable for women to do the same stuff from a, a community perspective, because it's not going to be a drain on the survivability of the species or the people. I think we're going a little bit too far in pendulum swing one way uh, while we were the other way. But it's like that again. Why was stuff done? Here's the answer. Is that really why it was done? 
Well, and that's it's like there may be other explanations that you didn't yeah. think about. I'm completely forgetting the term because I kind of sort of eschewed archaeology in my anthro training. Like I enjoyed it, but um, the idea. What you mean? We're not going to be Indiana Jones? <laughs> no, out, uh, man. Yeah, there it's broken dreams. But anyway, uh, before we continue, there was a really good Rogan podcast with this guy talking about Ethiopia and that stuff. You might like it. Anyway, um, yeah, this is sort of an anachronistic um, application of understanding. So the the idea that you know you're doing a dig and you find this thing that's sort of long and cylindrical and it's got a point on it and the point looks like it might be kind of burned and you're like oh what could this be oh well you know pencil looks like a pencil so maybe it was a pencil it must have been a writing of yeah. it it's like the fact that it looks like a yeah. modern tool that does a certain thing has literally no bearing on your understanding of what it used to be used for yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same thing it's like oh well you know we're you know this society is sexist or racist during this period therefore everything Thing must have been informed by that and we don't necessarily know if day-to-day these philosophies were informed by that we also don't know if the cultural tradition we're talking about in that era wasn't actually an artifact of a previous era yeah. that was maybe informed by something else yeah. uh, and it's kind of fascinating to me that a lot of sort of modern day um, control over women and you know, sort of social issues like that comes from back when they couldn't uh, guarantee or establish parentage. Yeah. So the idea that, well, you know that a child is a woman's because you saw it come out of her yeah. <laughs> ostensibly or she's you know caring well, for it. So maybe that's Judaism the standard, does that. Right? They knew the mother was the mother. That's why if your mother's Jewish, yes. you're Jewish, but they didn't know the father. So they, you can't so, guarantee. Yeah. And like, so they did. No matter that. what, yeah. there's, n- there's no 100% way to tell. So therefore, before you end up putting these because if they had changed that law there'd be like 100 200 million jews running yeah. around probably yeah so you track the judaism lineage through the for yeah. the woman yeah matriarchal trace uh but yeah so in sort of a overhanded response to that it's like oh well if we can't guarantee parentage uh for the men then men are just going to control women's activities yeah, yeah it's like oh well that's um one way to look at it, Which I suppose. Is, you know, what yeah, the yeah. fuck? Not all cultures, but a lot of cultures yeah. did. And some did it to more extreme, well, others didn't well, care. The example is Judaism's solution to that was not controlling the women. It was you're not Jewish if the mother's not yeah. Jewish, which is a more elegant way <laughs> in many think. ways. I mean, it's kind of screwed our population, but it also has probably protected us to some Well, and to a certain extent, you get things that, um, you know, like the back when having children was more important in society that's where you get all these rules about women not being soldiers and things like that like it was the idea that like you're not going to put your child producing population yeah. for kind of a clinical term uh in harm's way and i mean you go back to like was it ancient germany i think they had the vergeld which basically was like a penalty you paid if you endangered a woman because you're endangering uh that village's ability and her ability potentially to have children and carry on your family line which back in that day if your family line died out you know you were in trouble yeah so uh vergel was like this is a punishment for threatening this family line which you know one can interpret how they want to about uh, whether that's for or against rights of women or, yeah. or human rights in general. Well, well but, yeah, it's like just a completely different way to deal with that same problem. Contextually, and I was when I when I was in you, I got so angry at people that you they did not comprehend that you cannot and his professors too. You cannot take 21st century ideas and moralities and apply them to another time period. It 
doesn't work. You have to yeah. do your best to contextualize what they are doing in their times, which is hard when we're missing a lot of information. Mm-hmm. But it causes conflicts constantly because people are like, oh, well, this and that. And it's like you're just... I remember I had a social psychology professor, which is largely bullshit. And he had his thesis on human behavior and he got his PhD on it. I'm like, yeah, I don't think you could apply that 100 years ago. I think that's largely culturally based on modern times and it would fall apart under scrutiny. And like, I don't think anyone had his PhD professor. I don't know if anyone had ever framed it like that to him. And I could tell by the look on his face and he was a nice guy. So he's not, he wasn't egotistical. I just felt like the look on his face said... My life's work is for nothing now. Like, no one had told him that. That it was not a good theory because of... you. It wouldn't apply. It literally could not have applied. I forgot what it was, but it just mm-hmm. could not have applied 100 years ago. And so it's not a good theory on overall human behavior. Well, it's the classic, like, you don't know what you don't know. It's yeah. just like ethnocentrism is the same thing. It's like you can't assume that someone in another culture is doing something out of ignorance because it's probably been informed by something that you're just not aware of throughout the throughout history now that does not put a moral judgment of whether it's right or wrong etc but it's just like understanding is the first step to figure out okay well now we can talk about whether it should be continued or not and you know within our own culture as well but it's like you there's a kind of a classic thing um, and i'm forgetting the name of the researcher but there is a study done in i want to say it was in south america but it may have been in somewhere in the african continent but they were uh, looking at nutrition in this one tribe and so they uh, researchers came in got permission to do it uh, from the elders and so they were measuring children you know weighing them seeing other height was working out this and that um, and they after a while the villagers were like okay we don't want to take part in this anymore and they're like well why not and they since nobody had explained to them what was going on, nobody talked about the differences in culture interpretation. Yeah. But like, why would you be measuring someone? Wasn't there that guy who was like measuring penis size on some island? Yes, like, that's a whole fuck? other thing. Heard, but in this, this case, yeah. the the villagers stopped taking part in this research project, and they're like, "Well, why?" And they're like, "Well, because you you want to eat our children." <laughs> like, what? It's like, well, why else would you be measuring them and checking how much they're growing? And you, eventually, you're going to come back and take them away and eat them when they're fat enough. That's fine. It's like because you didn't involve the people in the research you didn't understand what their cultural perspective is yeah. like and they certainly wouldn't understand the hansel and gretel yeah <laughs> yeah so like and same with you know when their uh, people thought they were being poisoned in the refugee camp in the 80s i want to say it was iran or something like that and uh it turned out that you know the westerners were putting up these care packages and they were including all this western shit in it yeah. and so they're giving them like powdered milk and stuff and of course most people were what the fuck is this yeah well lactose intolerance is the normal sort of human condition prior to you know getting uh milk uh into your culture you know hundreds of years ago so i'm, people, not, even, I'm not even sure i could i could argue that point actually but anyway it, it's so you know they're getting all this powdered milk and people are getting sick off it and it's like well because they don't come from a culture where they develop lactose tolerance and so they assume again like nobody talks to each other it's like oh they're poisoning us they're trying to get rid of us yeah it's like well yeah. no they're just not thinking <laughs> like they're not considering the cultural context they're not considering the the, uh, the historical context in which they're engaging these people. Yeah. No, it's just lack, lack of... There's too much information, and most people, I am sorry, just cannot put it into their head. There's too much. Well, and they don't bother to sit down and yeah. talk about it. You just take it at face value and walk away and make your own decision. And and, and sometimes people have told me, like, oh, I'm too busy like trying to figure my own shit out. I don't care about that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but 
knowledge is power and you can understand more and maybe you learn a lesson from someone no i can mm-hmm. i can barely pay my bills like i well again you know the intelligence thing is it's a it's 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 part of it and it's also part of it the stress levels so so I'm, I'm sorry just like computers some people are not capable they're just never gonna understand and that's just the way it is and i'm sorry it sucks for you but then the other the other thing is it's like um people who are capable it's like but are they in a position mentally to process it right in the modern day stressors are just insane and it's mm-hmm. constantly said juggling act as we said we we really need more free time and we'll get there eventually. It's like the concept of universal basic income. I was like, hmm, like I'm debating. Like, I'm more center center, right? No secret. As far as policy, and generally the reason is change needs to come, but it needs to come at a reasonable pace. And the people who just want to fucking sprint towards change are going to mm-hmm. run everyone off a fucking cliff. Yep. And you need, it's like these people, all these smart people educated, it's just a science. It's like, we need to drag you peasants into the future. It's like, or here's another perspective. And both are actually true is no, we need to hold you back just enough. So you don't run us all off that cliff. And the other side is you, you need to pull them forward just enough so that we get progress and we don't die. Right. And that middle ground, um, shit, I forgot. Where, where did I start? Well, it's the idea of gradual change, but you have to actually be committed to making gradual changes because if the change is too gradual, you're not actually doing anything. Yeah, I was just saying, like, the, the people are just, we need to do it, we need to do it. It's like, well, do we really understand? We barely understand the past. Do you really understand? The, you get these new ideas. Um, let's take how to raise children, for example. These fuckers in the 60s and 70s who's... At the time, their theory, I forgot who it was, their theories weren't even that good. Nobody took it seriously. And at some point in the 80s and 90s, the media picked up on this fucking bullshit parenting styles and just ran with it. And you look at how incapable emotionally and just skill-wise my generation is now, just as a whole. Like, don't understand shit. I think in many ways in the West, at least, the peak of an education system was probably the 70s. And then from there on, they probably... They, uh, while, yes, we have a lot more information now from the actual methodology, they've watered it down a lot now. And now they're not teaching base information. They're teaching ideologies in schools. And they're teaching ways to... It's like, no, you need to teach them the base stuff that is fact... And then you need to take, teach them how to think and you need to teach them how to live. And they're not doing any of that stuff. All that stuff that used to be in schools is no longer in schools. And now I'm hearing more and more and more and more and more. I don't want my kid to go to public school in the West. And then you see people in the government saying, we're going to try to limit and control private schools. It's like, mm, and you know what's going to happen? More and more people are just going to homeschool if they have the time. And and, and, and that that side thing is when women didn't work, you actually had a parental figure who knew the children at there all the time. And it wasn't some random person feeding your kid conspiracy theories or feeding your kid. uh, And there was some merit to that. We're having a parent figure or like a close person at home all the Mm -hmm. time making sure they're doing what they're supposed to do making sure they have downtime they need structure but they don't need structure you know there's like a german style where they have the schools in the forests and stuff or something like that 
And it's just like, why, again, why did our education system work like this? Well, Fordism. <laughs> well, and a lot of it goes back to, you know, for good or ill, the fact that it's not really legal to experiment on humans in long-term yes. settings. Like, you can't say, like, well, we're going to potentially fuck up a group of 100 kids in order to figure out how to do it right for the rest of the if society. If you do it in a safe way, if you've <laughs> yeah. got to do it to some degree. Oh, and I remember what I was talking about, universal basic income. Like, it's like one of these ideas that's so foreign. And I was... I like I'm hearing I listen to economists talk about it I listen to philosophers talk about it I listen to it and I'm trying to like does it make sense so like let's say the the right wing argument is that people aren't gonna do work now you're seeing that right now with the handouts that people are not wanting to work a lot of people are a lot of people aren't if you know how to utilize these uh, government handouts correctly, you can really maximize it. But a lot, what you are starting to see is the, I think the conservative view that people are just going to do nothing. I think it's right and it's wrong. I think, yes, there's going to be 10% of the population that are used to sacks of crap. Yep. And we need to start accepting this, that there's useless to sacks of crap. Then we have 10% of people who are going to produce like crazy. And then you have everyone else in the middle. And I was thinking about, okay, I, I, was, I forgot who was listening. He was just talking about the, the, a lot of people, the intellectuals think about the species, not the individual, mm-hmm. although they still do because they're human. But and they're like, what's going to make our species more productive? And I, as someone who's not the best financially and, and any little bit helps for me, the help I'm getting during COVID is like, oh, I can actually focus on producing things that I want to produce, not running around doing stuff, wasting my re- my capabilities and my resources. And I was like, listen, this guy was the, the goal really is not about all persons. It's about the species. And so if, if you take that stress off of a lot of people just enough, like Andrew Yang in the States, like he, yeah. he needs to go farther because that guy, he, he both in, in, in policy and practical application, he knows what he's doing, but he's an outsider. So they railroaded him. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you need to have universal basic income that's unconditional. Everyone gets a thousand dollars. And it, it, it seems ridiculous. Now, from an economic perspective, it needs to be viable. You can't just print money, which is what governments do. It's absurd. Right. Um, but his plan was, let's take the stuff we have now that's a complete mess, get rid of it, and simplify it. Well, the government entity, that is the deep state, doesn't want that to go away. His plan is brilliant. You just give, it to, give them unconditional, whether they're working, whether they're not. For me, I realized in my situation, it made me more productive. Because now the pressure of, oh, I need the money. Mm-hmm. I am fully aware there's that 10% of people that are going to be used to sacks of crap, no matter what. And that's the thing about society. We have to understand that. Well, we have to admit it. Yes, we have, we have to, to we have to. It has to be it. socially acceptable to talk about the fact that there are people who are just going to do fuck all. Yeah. And if we live in a society where we say it's okay for them to make that choice, then we can all move on. Yes. <laughs> and so the conservatives need to get over that fact. Uh the other side is the the, the left wing people are like oh we can just print money it's like guys no a system needs to be based on something you can't just make shit up or it collapses every single fucking time um, so what I was thinking about you have that kind of structure there uh, nothing to do with martial arts you will take if 10% of the people are maximized their intellectual and like Eric Weinstein was talking about uh, he's an American mathematician works for Peter Thiel has a wonderful if you like intellectualism and you're not listening to his stuff it's like it's another level um, it's probably one of the smartest guys in America from a non like 
production perspective, just from a thinker. Um, he's like, there is an intellectual drain of people who are smart but just don't fit into the school system and get dropped like a sack and now Mm -hmm. our species is stupider because these people are not being allowed to be productive so let's say you have the universal basic income instead of 10% people maximizing their capability you're going to get 30% in maximizing your capability but guess what instead of having 10% sacks of crap uh, doing nothing you're probably going to have 30% I think the model that a lot of people want to push it's all about the execution if done correctly it is actually going to be you're going to see a larger class of productive people producing more for the species you're also going to have a larger group of people sitting around doing nothing and then the middle class will actually shrink and that'll create a weird class warfare which no one has an answer for yet yeah. until we as a society as a cultural thing accept some people are useless well and it's kind of like it without goes, causing genocide yeah was it that they're uh, just gonna sit there twiddling their thumbs fine yeah uh and I don't know if it was I think it was Einstein quote where he's talking about uh, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree it's always going to be a failure yeah and yeah that same thing it's like you take someone who could be excellent at something but you put it in put them into a standard system where they have yeah. to be excellent at A, B, C, D and F then you know they are deemed a failure and then they kind of slowly pick up they're socialized and kind of enculturated into being a failure yeah um, but back to your to your although point, don't go too much to that because yeah. that's what they've done now and it's like oh, we don't want to be yeah hyper focus is even worse yeah um but the going back to the idea of like the the covid money and these temporary temporary subsidies no, it's, it's interesting no illusions. That, our current prime minister is going to bankrupt our country based on the current system but that's another thing okay it's about execution <laughs> anyways continue yeah. uh, but i was going to say there's kind of the types of people that are out there you're going to have those there will be a percentage who say because it's temporary yeah there's a percentage who are going to say well it's only for a year so i'm going to take this money in my bad situation i'm going to do something to like bust my ass in the interim i'm going to learn something new i'm going to create i art. started a new business yeah do whatever because you've got a bit of a cushion you can you can afford to fail for a year or two yeah however long it's supposed to run for but then you can have the other part of society who are going to say like oh well more drugs i got a year to to do fuck all and i'm just gonna sit around and be a hedonist for a year and then go back to life as normal eventually and they're gonna uh, do is the hope and and they will and that's fine but with the universal as long as they're not destructive to other people it's where it becomes uh, exactly and when you get to the universal income where it's like no no this is the way things are now i and this is maybe naive to say, but I feel like a lot of the people who are like, oh, I'm going to be a fucking hedonist. It's going to be great. Woo. I feel like initial lockdown. That would yeah, be. <laughs> I feel like if it's permanent, people are going to be like, you know, that was kind of fun for a while, but I kind of do want to do something now. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, that it's not like, oh, you know, a few months of free money, quote unquote. Um, this is now like this is your lifestyle is yeah. sitting at home, getting your money to cover your rent and food. Yeah. So what do you want to do with it? Yeah. And I feel like it's either I'm hopeful that it's either going to inspire people to, you know what, maybe I'm going to do something with my time or it's going to inspire people who say like, well, you know what, I actually kind of like working anyway. So I'm going to go and do something or, you know, be creative or take on a new project. Well, so that's the thing. So like, that's me. I'm going to yeah. do that. And probably you as well. I am fully aware. And that's a lot of these intellectuals who are making these plans are like, that's what's going to happen. But they're not acknowledging that other group of people because their circle of people is all producers who like to do and can't sit around and want to be creative. Every time I hear someone like, oh, it'll allow for more time to be people creative. I'm like... 
Not everyone wants to do that. You yeah. fucking retards. You're so smart and you can't understand that people don't all want to do that. Yeah, and that's the thing. Some people will be creative. Some people will be industrious. Some people will just... Some people will still want to punch each other in the face. Some people will just continue working like nothing's changed. And other people will quit their job and go live in the forest in a subsistence subsistence lifestyle. But the point is that like a bit of everything is going to happen. It's the notion of what is most common or even better, what can we inspire? Like maybe people will fuck around for a year and then we can say, okay, cool. So here's a bunch of people who are willing to teach you how to paint in your neighborhood. Here's a bunch of people who are like going out and starting big community gardens, like whatever, like we're going to, we have to settle into it. But the problem is that humans, we do this to each other. We also do it just to ourselves. We don't give ourselves enough time to get into a pace. Yeah. Like, you know, someone tries, like, I'm going to start drawing. You draw. Take for Yeah, exactly. You draw for a couple of weeks and you're like, wow, this sucks. But like, if you gave yourself a full year, like yeah. let yourself fail for a year, yeah. guaranteed by the time that if you drew something every day, by the time that year is up, you will have improved and you've actually had time to say like, yes, I do like this or I don't like this or I'm willing to put in the time. And so all this stuff, it's like, oh, let's do this. Well, it's not perfect. So fuck it. Let's do something else. Yeah. Like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> How about we see if maybe the second iteration is actually going to let people settle in and get a sense of it. And that's the thing with like governments changing every, you know, four years or something. It's like, well, no one's you spend two years ramping up and figuring out what the last guys did. And then yeah. you spend a year trying to implement your shit. And then by the time it starts rolling, you're out because yeah. you weren't perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> like. Well, you're not going to be perfect. Yeah, and that's can't. the fault of the voters. I, this, I'm sorry, I don't want a polished person. I don't yeah. care if they're a drunk. Can they make the decisions properly? Are they competent? And can they <laughs> like, execute the plans in a way that gets things done? Yeah. I don't care if they're pretty. I don't care if they're great orators. We need to stop obsessing with that garbage. Mm-hmm. It's nonsense. It's not the sign of a good leader. Uh, that's what we keep telling ourselves. It's a fucking lie. And well, because we wonder- keep going for charismatic people. Yeah, and you keep wondering it's like, why no, we want good decision people. makers. <laughs> uh, we want people who can think, make decisions, and cooperate with oh, others. Oh, they sound really good? Oh, I'll listen to them. Their policy was a decision. Disaster, you yeah. motherfuckers. Um, I'm not going to name names. <laughs> Fair enough. There's a few of those. but um, And you know, it's like, I was out in the woods for a week. Didn't you need to go? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just say it. Um, I didn't want to put on the podcast that I need to wrap up soon. It's okay. I <laughs> ask all the time. It's my years of production work. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> keeping things up. in the background. Nah. This is real life. Fair so, enough. See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I was out in the uh, woods for a week needed to wind down it's actually important because they're starting to find that if you are a creator if you are a producer you need the time to think about nothing Mm -hmm. and for some people it can take a day to do that and some people it can take three days some people it can take two weeks to let your nervous system calm the fuck down without all the stimulus so that you can actually produce and 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 uh you know and let's bring it back to martial arts for a lot of people martial arts can be a way to in the busy cities bring like ground them to something mm-hmm. more more tangible than just like uh, shut everything off for a bit though i still think you need to actually turn it stuff off and disappear every once in a while that's why all through my schooling i've done my best work at midnight or 1 yep. a.m yeah because 
everybody, no nine to five. Everybody no. has fucked off. Everybody else is asleep, and I've got nothing. Nobody's yeah. calling me. Nobody's you know that's it. I'm it's not going to yeah. anyone or early. A lot of successful people uh, get up really early because no one bothers them for three hours. Yeah. And on the note of success, what drives me nuts is that everyone says, "You read these books. This is how you succeed." It's like if you look at all the most successful people, there's actually a spectrum. Half of them are really disciplined. Yep. And follow a schedule, and half of them don't. Yeah. And it's like, we need to remember that. But most people are like, you need a schedule, you need a regiment, you need this. And then for some people, that works really well. That doesn't work for me. I'm a much more like free flow. Like, mm-hmm. I need to know what's going on, but I need that flexibility to, today I want to do this, today I want to do that. I have my loose things, like I want to have a coffee in the morning. What time in the morning? Different story. Um, and I just hate these narratives being told of this is how it has to be. And it's it's a spectrum. It's always going to be a spectrum. Although I don't want to get into the topics of where people are pushing the term spectrum and just making sure. massive fucking <laughs> shit um, and ignoring reality a little bit. But yeah, things are not black and white, as, as is in my teaching. I just always find it interesting that anytime people talk about you got to get up at 5 a.m. to you know get moving or whatever, no one ever talks about when they go to bed. Yeah. It's like, so do you go to bed at like nine? Yeah, a lot of them do. <laughs> like, what's your fucking evening life like? Because yeah. I'm very much like, I'm, yeah. again, I work better in the evening when no one's around. Well, you know, because we were just on this camping trip, literally, and it's winter. We, we, it was minus 17. I'll show, if you have time, I'll show you my, my thing I made. Um, yeah, I'm real Canadian now. Um, but really, our sleep pattern was... An hour or two after sunset, we're asleep. Mm-hmm. And then for sunrise or an hour before sunrise, we're awake. It's your circadian rhythm lining up. And we were actually ended up sleeping. Not the best because it was so fucking cold, but like 10 to 12 hours a night because it's winter. And then being functional all day and then easily sleeping. And then when we came back to town for the first three or four days, we were still on that rhythm. And, and it was like, oh, and like right now we're actually waking up early again, which is something I prefer because I actually like to work in the mornings now if I'm, if I'm well rested. If I'm not well rested, I don't start work till 11 or 12 usually. So there is that. So any parting words since you have to go? Not really. I got nothing original to say. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> It's being recorded, and I want to be beholden to anything 20 years from now. to be like, you're quoted saying this. Well, that's their problem for not understanding context, and fuck them. Yeah. Real, really I think serious. just in general, people just need to be more honest with themselves yeah. if we're going to make like large philosophical statements to yeah. wrap this up. Like, just, you know, be okay with changing and be okay with like being wrong. <laughs> like, it's okay to be wrong because you learn more from it. Oh, that's. That actually is one of the more consistent success they Learn yeah. from your failures, get over yourself, and just do it. Yeah, it's not personal. Yeah, it's <laughs> Move. not personal. John's an asshole. He's telling you something valid. Get over the personal. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I think that's a good place to leave it. So thanks for coming on. And of course, thank you for editing all my garbage writing. No problem. <laughs> Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions.